Good morning. Let's get started. My name is Duncan Harris, and uh, I'm the president of Bakersfield Business Partners. Welcome back to another uh, weekly edition of our podcast. And I've got Alan Medeiros here. And listen, our group, Bakersfield Business Partners, we're a BNI chapter. We meet once a week, and we are helping our members grow through referrals, but also through um, education and relationships. So we started a podcast to highlight our outstanding members. We're meeting everyone week after week. And so this week we have Alan Medeiros in, and he's going to just introduce himself, and then um, we'll kind of get a, a nice conversation started. Alan, nice to have you here. Thanks, Duncan. Good to be here. So thanks for inviting me. Perfect. So um, we've obviously known each other for a little while, but we're going to talk like we haven't met. And so um, for those listening, just tell me what you do. Um, give me a, a real quick snippet of who you are. Sure. My name is Alan Medeiros. I'm with Agape Mortgage. We're a division of a much larger company called Sierra Pacific Mortgage, and we're a nationwide mortgage lender. So I give people the opportunity to finance homes anywhere in the state of California. So that's really what I do. Cool, cool. And you have a family, you have a wife, kids. Yeah, about absolutely. That. So my wife and I have been married over 20 years. We have two beautiful children. Congratulations. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. Uh, 19-year-old daughter now, and my son is 16. And... Um, we're actually not looking forward to the empty nest because we love our kids. They're just tremendous, <laughs> amazing uh, individuals and adults. And, you know, we're really blessed with an opportunity to just mold them and have them kind of get ready for the world outside of the, the borders of our home. So, but yeah, we've been really, really uh, blessed with that. Our kids are fantastic. My wife is an amazing gal that just really cares so much about the outcomes of everything in our home. So she's been doing a great job. I'm very, very proud of her. So, yeah. Very cool. Very good. Well, look, um, let's talk about your job. So you're a mortgage professional. Um, tell me, how long have you been doing that? Sure. So I can give you a little of the story. It's yeah, that's a funny be, story. That'd be great. Yeah. Tell me how so, you got started. I don't think anybody plans to become a mortgage lender. It just seems <laughs> that the true. story comes out that they kind of fell into it. Right. My story is not that much different. So I went to local schools here in Bakersfield. I went to Castle Elementary, Actus Junior High, West High School. And um, I got a scholarship to go to UC Santa Barbara. So my junior year in college, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I had kind of made the decision that I was going to switch majors from biological sciences into English of all things, right? And I was thinking, well, I'll become an attorney. Um, maybe I'll do teaching, but then I also considered going into optometry because I had enough of the science stuff and I really felt that it'd be a good job, you know, reasonable hours, no emergencies. You get to help people with their vision, which is kind of an important deal. And, uh, I went into just finding out more and I decided to do an internship with Dr. Don Ratty here in Bakersfield. Mm. Okay. And uh, we called him Daddy Ratty because Steve Ratty, the son, is still in practice now. And Don passed away many, many years ago. But mm. long story short, he was totally open for it. So he gave me a summer internship. Uh, it was for free. I just kind of was volunteering time. And I went to work for Lens Crafters. Um, so I became an optician, and I learned a ton about the industry. Well, fast forward, I'm finishing up school, and um, I was going to take a commission in the United States Air Force because I wanted them to pay for grad school because I was fortunate enough to be on scholarship when I went to university. So I left college with no debt. Got married in 2000. Uh, my wife and I, you know, had this beautiful wedding sponsored by her grandparents who, you know, offered and we were just planning to get married and literally have a potluck in the park. 
you know, I mean, we didn't have any money. We really weren't focused on that kind of stuff. It was just about our future together. Well, come to the point where I'm ready to leave literally for officer's training school. And my wife says, I don't have a good feeling about this. I don't want you to go. So I literally am breaking down. Like I worked so hard Whoa, for this yeah, commission, that, you that know, was a big, uh... you apply, you get all these recommendations, congressman letters, you know, it's a hard U-turn right it, there. It, it is. <laughs> so I call up the tech sergeant from Vandenberg and I told her, I'm sorry, I can't go. What? I fought for you. And I'm, I know. Cause they select, you know, only three, uh, college students per, uh, selection period. And the alternate was from Cal Poly. So the alternate got in. Well, lo and behold, 9-11 happens right after that. Mm. Your wife was right again. Yeah. Go ahead and say right. it. You can she admit was. It. Her intuition was much stronger than my drive. So yeah. we get past that. And uh, all of a sudden, I get a call that my dad had a stroke. And I come rushing home. And my dad's at Memorial Hospital. He was intubated. He comes off the intubation and at the time I didn't kind of know what was going on. My older brother was in medicine and he comes over and he says, Alan, dad had a stroke and he has an infarction. What's an infarction? So my dad comes out and okay, this kind of sounds stupid, but he says, what happened? He says, dad, I guess you had a stroke and you had an infarction. He says, I farted. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I think it means something different. So my brother explains. He had a fart attack? Or yeah, what? Uh, no, it wasn't a fart attack. It was uh, an infarction. It basically means it's a, a cutting off of blood supply. Mm. So he had lost partial use of his legs. So needs to say, I was pretty stressed to the point where I, I, I needed to come home. So I moved my wife, expecting our first child in 2001, to Bakersfield in July who uh, my wife grew up in the Central Coast, so it was kind of a shock to the system to come to this uh, dry, hot, mm -hmm. you know, uh, poor air quality yeah. community. But we made that transition. But going back to my dad's in the hospital, he said something that was kind of surprising to me. He says, I need you to go to the office and close those loans. So here begins the journey. My dad, during the uh, bust in the 90s, decided that he wanted to make a career change because he had a business at one time that was an automotive business and they had really turned the corner and really requiring a lot more uh, capital and other things in order to run an automotive business. So he was in an entrepreneur magazine and they said, oh, you can become a loan officer. So my dad, no license at the time, just got this little thing from an entrepreneur magazine and started doing subprime loans. Surprising, <laughs> surprising, right? Right. So I knew nothing about the industry. So I go to this office, and at the time, he was working for a company called Golden Empire Mortgage here off of Chester. Uh -huh, yeah. So I walk into the office, and the receptionist says, well, you can drop the package off back there. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. They thought I was a delivery guy, right? So um, I tell them that, you know, my dad is in the hospital. They ask if he's okay. He's like, no, he's in the hospital, and, you know, I'm not sure how this is going to go. I said, but he asked me to come to the office and close some loans. So okay. So I sit down in this reception area and the manager comes out and says, so you're here to help your dad. And I said, yeah. He says, well, you can't be here in this office area without being an employee. Okay. He says, hold on a sec. So he disappears and he literally comes back with an application for employment. <laughs> so <laughs> I fill it out, give him my ID. 
He comes back and 10 minutes later, I'm hired. You're hired. Wow. Congrats. <laughs> you can go back and talk to the processors. They should have your dad's. That notes. is a crazy story. You're one foot away from the air force, you know, about to step on that airplane and then, yeah, dang. Yeah. Life really changed that scenario quickly. Huh? So yeah, it was, it was amazing. So after becoming a loan officer, I'm asking this question, well, what do I do? Like, what is all this gibberish? Just because you can read words in Spanish doesn't yeah. mean you know what you're right. reading. So he gives, language. he gives me this book, this binder, and he blows it off and he says, read this. This is the HUD manual 4155. And it's literally the underwriting Bible for FHA. So I took it home that night, read it cover to cover. Next day came back and said, okay, I read it. He says, you didn't read this. I said, yeah, I read it. So he flips through, asks a question, I answer the question. Flips again, asks a question, answer a question. He goes, you did read it. And I said, I told you I read it. He says, I think you're the first loan officer who's ever read this thing, cover to cover. <laughs> so there and then I realized that there was something that was different in the industry. There are a lot of people doing loans that didn't really know what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So after relocating you know, to Bakersfield, I started doing loans part-time. I took a job at LensCrafters in a transfer to Bakersfield. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, needing more money, so I took a third job on teaching vocational education at Santa Barbara Business College when they were open. So I did those three jobs from 2002 until about 2005. I uh, know four, um, but I went full-time in lending in 2004. So, and from 2004 until about 2008, I was managing um, one of the local mortgage company branches. And that's kind of how I found Mike and Sherry George, who are the principals of our company now. And in 2008, when everything was crashing, Right. And right. even when Big Shore Business Partners started, <laughs> that's the time that um, I transitioned over to work for Agape Mortgage. So I've been there since 2008. So what are we going on? Uh, what is that? Well, you've been in since 2004. So what are we at? Almost 18 years now. You've been mm -hmm. in the industry. Mm -hmm. It's a good run. Yeah. So, um, I mean, tell me, for those of you that don't know, I mean, what does a mortgage or loan officer do? Sure. Exactly. So the official title is Mortgage Loan Originator, MLO. Okay. And it basically means that you start the loan. This includes application, counseling, figuring out what a potential borrower would qualify for, what programs, figuring out income calculations, debt ratios, program guidelines, and basically the proper fit. And much of what I do is counseling and education. Sure. So the one downside to society today is they make it seem as if obtaining a mortgage is as easy as pushing a button. And the reality is, is that if you personally were going to lend somebody $350,000 of your own personal money that you saved your entire life for, would you not be a little bit more in-depth in research and yeah. figuring out? I might want to ask a few questions. Yeah. yeah. So banks are no different. They're not individuals lending the money. It's an institution. However, they have something called underwriting guidelines. And we mm -hmm. write our business to these guidelines to make sure that the consumer is not only getting an appropriate loan for their income, credit level, and other things like that, but also something that makes sense for risk for a bank. Mm -hmm. In a nutshell, my responsibility is to be the first line of defense before the bank takes on a loan that potentially could either sink the ship or help it to continue to journey on. I, I've always felt like when we were working with you, I mean, just uh, full disclosure, I think my wife and I have done two transactions mm -hmm. with you. Yeah, so I always felt like you were our advocate. 
you know, like when you said you do a lot of education, that's what I felt like. Okay, we're here and we're learning and Alan's kind of holding our hand through this. It's not an event. It's more like a journey, sure. you know, and uh, we want to get this loan or, or buy a house ultimately. And yeah, it's it's this process that you go through and really like an educational thing. But I always felt like you were on our side. Like you said, you're the first line of defense for the bank. Well, I, I thought you were our first line of defense, uh, a financial coach, making sure that we had a budget that was going to even work before we yeah. could get this loan. So, I mean, I just, I felt like um, that was something really cool. You know, maybe that's something that sets you apart. I'm not sure, but. I appreciate every client's desire to borrow money, but the mm-hmm. reality is that some people should not borrow as much as they want, mm. right? Because here's the thing that a lot of banks won't tell you and most loan officers won't speak of. At the end of the day, they don't make the payment for you. So to understand that your best interest comes from someone that's looking out for what's coming around the curve versus what you see directly in front of you is vitally important. If you think of a mortgage as being the single greatest form of debt that most people will take on in their life, it becomes important to know that the decisions you make now will dictate the future that you're going to have in the future, right? Mm -hmm. So if you make a poor decision now, down the road, it's going to affect you. So Mm -hmm. certain things that I look for very specifically is, what are you currently paying for housing expense? What are we proposing that you're going to pay for housing expense? Now let's work backwards and ask you the question as a consumer, what are you comfortable paying for a housing expense? Sure. So I give this example, not to scare people so much to be realistic. If you want to make a change in your budget financially and you say, you know, I can afford an extra $500 a month. The only way to really test that is to look at your bank statements over the last three or four months. To ask yourself, do you have enough margin financially that you're leaving at least an extra three dollars to $500 extra per month in mm-hmm. that bank account? Mm-hmm. And if you're not saving more than that, then we need to have a serious discussion. Because here's the thing. If I tell you that tomorrow, in order for you to be paid, you have to do 10 pull-ups, and you had never practiced, <laughs> and you can't even do one pull-up, you're setting yourself for failure. That's right. it, yeah. right? So financially speaking, it's the same thing. So when I'm prepping a client, I'm asking those questions. What's important to you financially? Where do you see yourself three to five years from now? Do you realize that this is a large financial commitment? Because once you commit, I want you to be fully committed. And the bank wants you to be fully committed because believe it or not, I don't care which bank you go to, they want to be your favorite person that you pay first every month. Right. Okay. Whether or not you have a good month or bad month financially, they want that mortgage payment. So that's one of the reasons why we spend so much time on the front end. Now, as your income starts improving, one of the things I do talk about with clients is what's your future plans? Do you see your income increasing over time? Do you have any financial goals like investing? Is there something that you want out of this? Your housing expense is going to be ongoing. Unless you're just fortunate enough to have family or someone that just gives you free housing, you're going to have a housing expense. Mm -hmm. But you and your wife and children have been the net beneficiaries of the fact that you had to pay some payment, but you did it for your own benefit. You were able to sell a house, live in it, take that equity and move it to the new house, right? right? But you didn't do anything other than live in the house, raise your children, right? And then take that value that was produced through real estate as a wealth tool Mm -hmm. to build the next step. That's all you did. Yeah. But you would have paid somebody. 
right? I yeah. think the average rent right now in Bakersfield is around $1,700. But you know, when you bought your first house, average rent was about 1000 Yeah, it's gone up a lot. Significantly. So yeah, these are the things that we try to equip our clients with and just teaching them tools. And the advocacy thing is this. The end result is the most important to me. And that's helping a family make a good decision because they remember that, they feel that, they know this. And if I care enough about them, it's not about one transaction, it's about what it is that we can do to help them to build something, whether it be wealth, a home, a relationship, or something. Plus, I don't know about your business, but my business, a lot of my clients see me as kind of like a, a hub of contacts. Mm -hmm. Because of our business partnerships with Bakersfield Business Partners, Right. I know people from many different industries and like red in the movie Shawshank Redemption, right? He, he, he gets, get he, he says, you know how to get stuff. Well, he knows people <laughs> and, and I know people, but we'll do it legally. Right. So yeah. red was innocent. He yeah, said he, he was. was. Yeah, yeah. Every person at Shawshank was innocent. That's right. Which that is one of the greatest movies of all time, but fantastic. Yeah. You know, that's a different podcast. So look, tell me quickly, like what's, what's an ideal customer for you? Sure. Ideal customer for me is going to be someone that is number one, looking for a relationship with somebody that's going to be honest and help them through the process. So I can never guarantee you the lowest rate, the lowest fees. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't micromanage what other banks do, nor do I have enough flexibility to make changes to cover everything. If you search hard enough, you're always going to find somebody cheaper, right? You're always going to find somebody willing to do things albeit potentially at the same quality, but many times less quality right. uh, for less. So an ideal client is somebody that wants a relationship, that wants someone that's going to walk them through that process to make it as smooth and as easy as possible. This could be a first-time home buyer. This could be a move-up buyer. This could be a, an investor. So I can take people through that process A to Z, and then after the fact, be there as an advocate for them throughout the process. So anybody that's looking for those types of things, and even if I'm not able to help them, if they have a difficult situation financially and it deals with real estate, give me a call because I have enough resources out there to answer a lot of these questions, but also get other people involved that have expertise in those arenas. One of the things that's been frustrating for me in my career is that you get these people that say they know how to do everything. And to me, that's just not realistic. Okay. Right. So, I mean... I don't want a podiatrist working on my spleen. Mm -hmm. They may be, you know, a doctor, but what kind of doctor are they? So if you have a, an area of giftedness, stick within that giftedness and do your best for your best. So you touched on something that I want to dive a little bit deeper into, and that's maybe what sets you apart from your competition. Like you, you talked about, I mean, ultimately we're talking about a loan here, mm -hmm. you know? So you said, well, if you search hard enough, you can always find it cheaper, but it won't be the same quality. So what distinguishes a good quality loan from a bad quality loan? Or maybe the right question is what distinguishes a good loan experience mm -hmm. from a bad loan experience? I think quality of loan is really going to be based off of certain factors, specifically being stability of the company you're working with. Okay. So Sierra Pacific Mortgage has been around since 1984. We're a nationwide lender. We're a servicer of about 90% of our loans. Mm -hmm. And with that comes stability. Um, I've been in the same industry for over 18 years. I'm too young to retire. So I'm going to be around for a while. Mm -hmm. 
but also my phone number hasn't changed since 2002, even through the bust and the boom and all the things that we went through. <laughs> right, right. So I've had clients call me back from 2004 and says, your number's the same. I say, yeah, why would I change it? This is me. This is yeah. my number. Yep. Um, I've seen a lot of changes in our industry where people are moving from company to company to company. Mm-hmm. And the only reason you typically move is you want more money or you're unhappy with the experience you're having there, right? So I've been very blessed um, not only tremendous leadership in our company, but just families that care about what they do. And the owners of our branch are just fantastic people. And that really has been a blessing. So quality, right? That's one thing. The second thing is, is that when you're dealing with a loan, the thing that becomes important too is being able to talk to somebody, right? They, they can help you through that process. Now, there are some companies that Right now, and this is just as of the timing in January of 2022, you're going to see in the next coming months some transition happening with very large entities that really became super large due to the refinance boom that we had in 2020 and 2021. Now, I'm not going to drop any names, but all you have to do is open Bloomberg or, you know, CNBC or, yeah, and you will see that there are mortgage companies that are literally laying off hundreds of people that all they did was take phone orders for refinance and their whole model was not built on relationship. It was built on just getting the loan done. So what happens to servicing when that happens? They sell off their books. When they sell off their books, they're selling them to subpar entities that'll collect your payment, but they're doing it because they have to get rid of those assets in order to build more capital to lend again. So just understand those are important pieces for stability. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but working with me, I try to make the process simple. If I do my work well, it's like an iceberg. Majority of the mass of an iceberg is below the waterline. What you see is a beautiful crest of it, right? And... If you do your job correctly and you build a proper foundation with all the financials, credit, income, then the only thing you should worry about is keeping your job or your income to not spending the asset that you have and maintaining your credit rating. And then once that appraisal comes in, as long as the value of that house holds up what we need, then that process should be fairly smooth. So on average, escrows range between 30 to 45 days. Um, with a properly set up loan, they can close as little as 16 to 21 days, Wow! which is pretty quick. If you think you plan something out two weeks from now, would you be ready to move if you started the process today? No, there's no way. Yeah. But that's the kind of stuff that can happen, but it also depends on what you're talking about. And like we discussed off air here, you watch any professional that does something well, they make it look easy. Mm-hmm. And that experience that they have with me typically will be easy in comparison to something their friends or peers may have experienced just because we do the hard work on the front end. It's all about prep work. So that, that's really the difference, I think. So what, what advice would you give to, um, to your clients? Or maybe, you know, what are some of the common mistakes or pitfalls that people fall into that you could just kind of give out a little, hey, here's, here's some tips that I'd like to give, you know, anyone that's thinking about getting a mortgage? Sure. So one of the biggest things we deal with in our industry, I'm sure for many other companies and industries as well, is what we call chatter. It's information that people are gathering from sources that may not be as credible. So, for example, your experience with obtaining mortgage financing will be different from your friends. Mm-hmm. And we have this tendency as humans to tell people the best of the best or embellish a little bit in our experiences or what we have Mm -hmm. versus what we actually can produce. (laughs) Right. Right. That's true. So we learned this from a very young age, right? And we were actually conditioned 
to want to show these things. Mm -hmm. So um, when we go through the process, I have to ask the questions, just learn this over time. If there's someone else that you're talking to that's going to help you make decisions or someone else that's going to be vitally important for us to move forward, please, let's get them here or let's get them on the phone. Right. And the reason why is because if you're playing telephone where you get some information and you try to relay that information, it's not going to come across the same way. So for that reason, let's get it out in the open. I want to make sure that you get your answers necessary. And if I don't have the answer, let's chase it down. Let's get the correct information. And I'll be the first to tell you that in a situation where I don't know the answer, I'd rather not give you an answer. What happens in those situations? Things stall out. There's... Uh... People get disappointed. I mean, tell me, tell me what happens usually if someone's playing telephone with a family sure. member. Or so sometimes if somebody's very direct with me and they say, you know what, I'm looking for the lowest rate, lowest fees. I'll be direct and say, well, then I don't know that this is going to be a good match. The reason why is because I'd rather rip the bandage off early rather than sit there and egg along and then spend hours upon hours and time and stress for them only to come back and have them not be committed to the process. Mm-hmm. Financially speaking, I'd rather serve a client that wants my best, that I can give my best to, than somebody that is pushing for something that potentially could be there. But interest rates fluctuate throughout the day, right. Monday through Friday, just like the price of a stock. Or a better example is the price of gasoline. If you're drive by Costco today and that line is out to the, you know, the driveway, you're probably going to come back at a later time to get gas. But let's just say the gas price was $4.10, and then when you come back, it's four twenty-five. You can't turn the hands of time back and say, I want that $4.10 per gallon, right? Which is crazy to even think about, but that's you know what we're that's averaging what right now, yeah. right? In yeah. California. But you put the gas in when you need to and when you can get to the pump. Well, mortgage rates are just like that. That loan is floating until it's locked. But when it is locked... It's locked. We've purchased that money at that rate, at that cost, off the market to hold it for you. Whether or not the price goes up or the price goes down. Whether or not the rate goes up or the rate goes down, it's locked. So because of that, if say the rate is going up and we've locked, you look like the hero. But let's just say you locked a rate and the rates go down. Then you're on the wrong side of that you know, value coin. Yeah. And somebody has to make a decision to stick with it or not. So those are the the hard things to deal with, you know, in that scenario. But so let's let's talk about interest rates then. Mm -hmm. I mean, the next question is what's going on in your in your market in your industry. Sure, I think interest rates probably play a key role in your business. So they do. Can you give us an overall view of the trends? Maybe what people sure. should expect, or just tell me what's going on. So in 2020, under the CARES Act in March of 2020, the coronavirus aid you know, that was set up, the federal government and the Federal Reserve made a pledge to purchase mortgage-backed securities. And what that does is it supplements the mortgage market. And they were buying on upwards of $120 billion a month of mortgages. Now, why, were, why does that, I mean, I don't understand. Like, what, so how the does more, that help us? Yeah, the more volume that goes to the mortgage-backed securities market, the lower the interest rate. Okay, so it kept interest rates low. Correct. Okay, to kind of stimulate the economy. Correct. Okay, I get it. And we just had this tremendous run of for every $2 the Fed spent, a dollar was spent by the American public, if you will, through investments, right? Well, 
they decided to take us all off the dole starting in November of 2021. Mm -hmm. So if you remember, they made this mention of something called um, tapering. And tapering meant they're going to start slowing the purchases of these mortgage-backed securities. So we saw this huge spike. And then a little bit of retreat where the markets kind of recovered a little bit. But since that time, we've seen a gradual increase in interest rates. However, it got really bad about three weeks ago. Interest rates have climbed probably about a half percent to 0.625% in a matter of like three days, which is a significant increase. Now, when you look at trends... A half a percent in three days? Yeah, which is significant for mortgages. That's big. Yeah, that's yeah, huge. And it changes somebody's ability financially to purchase a property because the increase in the rate changes their buying power, right? Yeah, I'm going to do the math here so we can give an example. Yeah. Because I think this will be interesting. 30 years. What's the average rate? So right now you're probably looking at about 3.5%. That's okay, kind of the so average. Three. But you have to compare that to, say, 2.875%. So across the board, this increase has caused some people that were qualified at one interest rate to not qualify at the next interest rate, mm -hmm. especially at certain purchase prices. So their buying power reduces anytime the interest rate goes up. Right, right. right? So because this is case-specific, it's only important when you're buying or refinancing real estate and you're ready to pull the trigger or have an actual contract in hand for a purchase. Otherwise, it's still floating. So I've gone through this scenario with a lot of clients, and I've explained to them, you know, at the end of the day, until we have a contract or a commitment, I can't really promise anything because I can't lock anything. So one of the benefits that I do have is that I watch the markets very closely. Yeah. So because of that, I can kind of see the trends, kind of like what I was talking at the beginning of the podcast about looking around what's around the curve. So I can kind of predict a little bit based off of market trends on where things are going. So we were just talking about interest rates, but housing is a big component. And I work very closely with um, tax professionals, with real estate agents and affiliated industries, specifically like home inspectors and appraisers. And one of the trends that we're seeing right now is, is that we still have an abundance of buyers compared to the number of listings. So when you have less listings out there, buyers are still in a very heated competition in order to get that same last cookie, if that makes any sense. You guys ever heard, you know, Tony Robbins, right? Yeah, right. So he does, you know, one of his examples in a book that I was listening to on tape or <laughs> a podcast. Right. He said, when there's a particular type of cookie that you like and you just fall in love with this cookie, you might buy like, I don't know, five boxes of it. Once you get the five boxes, the cookies become less uh, sexy, right? It's like, I've got five boxes. I'm just going to eat. So then you start eating the cookies. But when you get down to that last box and you get to that last tray and that last row, there's a value added to that last cookie row. Right. And your kids and family might fight if they really all love that cookie for that last set of cookies. <laughs> because scarcity drives demand. Sure. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. We have less cookies out there for people to get. And that that also drives price. My my grandfather used to eat pralines and cream ice cream. 
Huh. And he said, Grandpa, why do you eat that nasty ice cream? He goes, because you guys don't like it. <laughs> so there was never any demand. There was never a high demand for Grandpa's ice cream. There was never any scarcity. There you go. Of ice cream. Anyhow, that's funny. Um, I get it. Okay, so, you know, uh, you've been doing this for 18 years. You've helped a lot of people. What's What's the best part about your job? The relationships, the families. You know, Baker Show's not that big. You know, they say there's six degrees. I think Baker Show's like two. It's, yeah. I mean, that. people know people to know people. Um, and when I see people, I want to give them a handshake or a hug. You know, not, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, there they are. You know, mm-hmm. reality is, is that we're accountable for our actions. Transparency is important. People need to be able to, you know, stand and, you know, be proud of what they do. And we get a chance to help families and bless them. You know, home is a big achievement. You know, there's several milestones that you experience in life. And one of the bigs is a home and owning that home. Even if you own it with the bank because there's a mortgage on it, right? Yeah. But also helping people plan to get that mortgage paid off. You know, single frame, single greatest form of debt is that mortgage. And if I can help you get that thing paid off, you have retirement plans that can be there, right? I jokingly tell people this, but the reason why people work really, really late into life is not because they want to work. It's because many times they're forced to work. Hmm. They're carrying too much debt. So if you can plan properly, you don't have to work. If you want to work, that's a different story. But if you're forced to work, it means that the finances that you have are not sufficient to meet the lifestyle means that you want. Got it. Very good. So um, obviously you've uh, you started in 2000 and what did you say, four? Two. 2002. And uh, you've been through the ups and downs of, of the market. It's swung quite a bit here in Bakersfield. But um, tell me a little bit about Bakersfield's business partners mm-hmm. when you joined and what it means to you, and maybe how it's helped you, you know, write out some of those, oh, absolutely. those swings in the market. So I was invited by a good friend of mine, Dr. Kyle Mortensen, who's a dentist, to come to this networking group. And I had never really ever done anything like that. And this was in 2008. And he says, I don't want to go alone. Come with me. Okay, great. <laughs> so we, we go. And at the time, Marvin Bush, um, he's the real estate agent in our group. Mm-hmm he had already invited another lender mm-hmm. and he pulled me aside and he says, I just want you to know that the lender I invited just couldn't make it this week, but she's going to come next week. <laughs> so at the time it was Marcy Parmley. It was Chuck Cartwright. who was one of the founding members. Yep. It was Marvin Bush. And I believe there may have been one or two other people. I can't remember if it was, Mark Pryor, but there was, there was a couple other people that were um, kind of founding members, if you will, when we chartered. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this makes sense. Like, there's only one person representing classification. You don't really have competition. You can network, build relationships uh, with people and, you know, help them to grow as they help you to grow. And I was just intrigued by this because, again, I've always been kind of a relationship-driven person. And I figured, well, let's give it a shot. So I put the application in and it was approved. And at that time we were still growing and they were encouraging people to invite other members. So we did. And we started to grow uh, month after month until we got to a point where we could charter. And that was the official time that uh, BNI recognized us as a chapter within the central coast, central Valley. What was uh, that? Chapter. 2000... 2008. 2008. Yeah. So when that happened, it was, um, 
just something that we saw such a huge fallout in the real estate industry. Yeah. Anything that provides some stability was important. And it took a, a good six months or so for me to actually get any rapport with Marvin, who was a principal you know, driver for um, referrals for me. But since that time, I've been you know, very good friends. We've seen a lot of ups and downs in our economy, personal experiences, life in general. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that it's the relationships that I value most in what we do. And we've had, I mean, even since you've, you know, been in the group for you know, over 10 years now too. Right. It, how many people have we started and stopped as a part of our chapter that still refer people to mm-hmm. us? It's because they, they realize that we're not a fly-by-night type of organization. We really pride ourselves in relationships and quality. And whenever possible, we like to have the principal that owns that business or has a vested interest in the outcomes be at our meetings because we want the best for them. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, obviously, our chapter is designed to grow people's businesses through referrals. But I I really believe it's through relationships. Absolutely. And we have very strong relationships within the group. Um, but also, as you just alluded to, people will join our group and they leave for whatever reason, uh, a job change or they, or they, you know, they move, just life happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they maintain those relationships with many members in the group. We still refer probably hundreds of thousands of dollars of business every year. Yeah. And they refer back to us as well. Um, that's the beauty of a relationship style system where it's long-term and it grows and changes and, and I don't know, adapts as life happens to us. So, um, and it's blessed me and my business and obviously you and yours. Can you give us some idea maybe of, you know, what percentage of your business or income maybe is derived from BNI? So this is not going to be exact, but I can honestly say consistently, probably 40 to 50% of my closed business comes from relationships from wow. our BNI chapter. Wow. So if you expand that, it could probably eclipse 50%. And the reason why is because past clients that originated with, hmm. you know, Big Show Business Partners. A BNI referral. Yeah, came yeah. back as another either refinance or purchasing another piece of property or selling a piece of property and buying another piece or of property. Or then they referred someone to you. Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we would consider that um, secondary or third level mm-hmm. referrals. So it's been integral to my business. And I can't tell you the amount of value that I derive from it because it just provides consistency. Sure. And one of the things that, you know, having done education for a couple of years, I believe that the more consistent you are, the more those routines and those uh, experiences you have become of your, who you are. Like if we take dark Tuesdays, like literally it throws my cycle of like how I do things off. Right. I mean, and there's only a couple times during the year, but it feels like we've been gone forever because I didn't see you guys that week. Right. So we have, we have two weeks off a year and like clockwork on Tuesday mornings on those two weeks, my wife will say, aren't you supposed to be at BNI? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every time, literally yeah. it never fails Yeah, because it's a part of what we are. It's, right. it's, that's the rhythms I think that we build in our businesses. We have certain expectations and if we don't meet those expectations, something gets thrown off. Your calendar gets scheduled. <laughs> right. up. So I, yeah. Well, awesome. Look, I mean, it's always uh, a pleasure talking to you and doing business with you. Is there anything else we missed before we kind of close it up? Not really. 
I just encourage people that if you are seeking mortgage financing, um, definitely invest time in asking questions and learning. You're going to get different ways of hearing the same thing. And some people will give you information that may not be as credible. Mm -hmm. And if you are talking to people and doing research on the internet, there are credible locations to get information and not so credible information to get, mm -hmm. you know, so keep that in mind. And as far as uh, big show business partners, if you are a small business or some other type of uh, group, even a nonprofit that wants to develop a strong network of businesses and professionals that have families that potentially use your own services, um, definitely reach out. Come visit our chapter. You know, we're proud of it, but we're also invested in it. It's not something that's a trial thing for us. It's actually part of our business. It's how we plan our business and it's how we build around our business is our relationships. So one thing that we have noticed is that we've had businesses that have come in that have gone out, but they've not given it enough time. Because like anything, if your name is on a referral and that represents you and your character, you will wanna have a little bit of feedback. How did that person do? How did they perform? How was their follow through? How was their customer experience? So if you haven't gotten to that level, don't be upset, frustrated. You still have to prove it to us too. This is a two-way street. Sure. So our names are on what we say and we do. So our integrity is there. So, but if you build that relationship, it it's, becomes very natural. And that's, I think, the, the goal for everybody. So, but Yeah. I thank you for your time. It was a lot of fun, man. I couldn't have said it better myself. Awesome. Thanks, Alan. And, uh, again, thanks for being with us. And I'm sure you're a past president of BNI, right? Mm -hmm. How many years have you done it? Uh, maybe three. Oh, okay. I'm locked in on my second year. There you go. But, uh, maybe there's a fourth year in your future. Well, I don't know about that. Okay. We, we need to get some other people to play, <laughs> but nobody wants to ever take a particular picture. I won't even say it here, but you know, there's a position that that person would be a great president, but nobody wants to take that position. So, <laughs> Well, listen, thanks again for joining us. And as I said, um, please come join our group. We meet Tuesday morning, 730. And we're a group of business owners and professionals. And we're really helping to educate our other members on um, our businesses so they can pass referrals to us. But along the way, we're building these great relationships. And oh. it just helps our business and really our life uh, be enriched through that. So anyhow, my name is Duncan. And we'll, we'll sign it off. And uh, until then, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Duncan.